you are listening to the transforming india podcast jointly brought to you by the deepak and neeraj center on indian economic policies at columbia university and the times of india i am arvind panagariya director of the raj center and professor of economics at columbia my co-host on this podcast is professor praveen krishna he is a professor of international economics and business at johns hopkins university welcome praveen Hi Arvind, delighted to join you again for the 14th episode of this podcast. In the last episode, we had said that the five-part Atmanirbhar Bharat package that the finance minister announced in five successive press conferences from May 13 to May 17 had two distinct components. The first component contained a number of programs with large monetary figures attached to them to help households and firms cope during the lockdown period and the second component consisted of several important reforms that would improve the long run efficiency and growth prospects of the indian economy we've already had an in-depth discussion of the first component in the previous episode episode 13 and today we take up the second component which has received surprisingly little attention and disappointingly little attention in the media praveen What is very interesting is that while ignoring almost entirely the impressive list of reforms that the government has announced the media focused disproportionately on the call by the prime minister for atmanirbhar bharat in his may 12th speech translated into english the expression means a self-reliant india as you know during the days of prime minister jawaharlal nehru and prime minister indira gandhi we have had a history of seeking self-reliance in the sense of self-sufficiency against that background many in india have expressed fear that by calling for self reliance and asking indians to be vocal for local prime minister modi now wants to take india back to the bad old days of import substitution and autarkic international trade policies tariff increases during the past 3 years to promote import substitution have reinforced these fears i think these fears are both premature and perhaps misplaced my own interpretation of the prime minister's speech is that he delivered those remarks in his address to the nation in the midst of the coronavirus threat as such he was communicating to citizens across the length and breadth of india the majority of these citizens live in rural areas his objective perhaps was to instill a sense of national pride among the citizens and for that the calls for self reliance and to be vocal for local served as effective exhortations in the atmanirbhar bharat package which is wide ranging there is nothing that even hints rolling back trade if anything it actually opens indian market wider by raising the cap on foreign investment in the defense sector under automatic route from 49% to 74% for these reasons my own inclination at this point is to not jump the gun if the prime minister means self sufficiency through self reliance we would witness a marked rise in the barriers to international trade over the next several months my prediction is that this is not likely to happen i'm glad that you've cleared up the confusion on this important issue arvin and let's proceed to list some of the key reforms announced under the package at the outset let's be clear that the reforms announced by the finance minister are wide ranging and we really don't have the time to discuss them all exhaustively let me also add that not all of the reforms contained in the package are entirely new some of them have been announced earlier and are already in the process of being implemented and with these qualifications let's focus on reforms in seven different areas included in the atmanirbhar bharat package 
First and foremost, the package includes far-reaching reforms in agriculture, which have been discussed by economists for decades, but on which no serious action has been taken until now. Second, the government has decided to bring a new public sector enterprise policy under which it will privatize all PSEs in non-strategic industries. Third, the government will relax the 3% ceiling on borrowing by the states, with some of the relaxation being contingent on state-level reforms. Fourth, a number of liberalizing measures have been introduced in coal and mining sector. Fifth, several important reforms have been introduced in the electricity sector. Sixth, to incentivize growth in enterprises of all sizes, the government has redefined each of the micro, small, and medium enterprises, or MSMEs. Finally, the government has committed to initiating a program of affordable rental housing. In the remainder of this episode, let's dissect each of these seven reforms carefully. Sure, Praveen. Let me begin with the reforms in agriculture. This set of reforms is probably the most important one among all those announced in Atmanirbhar Bharat package. Acting at an unprecedented speed, the government has already issued three ordinances to implement these agricultural reforms. One ordinance considerably limits the use of the Essential Commodities Act. States have frequently used this act to place limits on stocks, exports, and prices of agricultural commodities. The second ordinance frees up the interstate movement of agricultural goods, thereby finally creating a single national market in them. The third ordinance paves the way for farmers to sign contracts with buyers who may be processors and exporters to sell their produce of a specified quality at a specific price. Taken together, these reforms will go some distance towards liberalizing and modernizing agricultural markets. They will help reduce price uncertainties and allow farmers to receive more remunerative prices. Is it your conclusion, Irvin, then, that these reforms will bring prosperity to farmers? Will we see farmers' incomes rising rapidly in the near future? Excellent question, Praveen. While I think these reforms are very important for modernizing agricultural markets and enhancing competition, I fear a very large number of farmers in India are so small that even doubling or tripling of their agricultural incomes may not go far in making them prosperous. Some 70 million or almost half of agricultural holdings in India are smaller than half a hectare with average size less than a quarter hectare. Farmers working on these tiny holdings basically need to exit the sector. And that means the creation of a large number of well-paid jobs in industry and services to which they can move. That's an interesting point, Arvind. Moving on, let me describe for our listeners another very important reform contained in the Atma Nirbhar Bharat package. The government has committed to bringing a new public sector enterprise policy under which all sectors will now be opened up to the private sector. The force of this provision will be that atomic energy and railways will now be open to the private sector. The reform also proposes to draw up a list of strategic sectors and then limit them exclusively to the public sector. This particular provision has the far-reaching effect that all PSUs in sectors not listed as strategic will become candidates for privatization. If the government sincerely implements this policy and limits the list of strategic sectors to those in which the public sector serves a real public purpose, it will greatly improve economic efficiency. All empirical evidence shows that PSUs perform significantly poorly relative to their private sector counterparts. And PSUs that were privatized during the Vajpayee era are all performing far more efficiently than those that were not privatized. 
Praveen, for me, this announcement is a special source of pleasure since I had actively sought privatization of BSUs during my days at the Niti Aayog. Though despite the Prime Minister's blessing, no privatization has happened till date, it is very encouraging that the subject has now moved near the top of the government's reform agenda. Well, turning to the next item on our list, let me discuss the easing of the cap on borrowing by states from 3% to 5%, provided states agree to undertake certain reforms. As we know, COVID-19 has brought both central and state budgets under huge stress. Under the current system, states are not free to choose their own borrowing levels when they are short of revenues. Instead, the center sets the limit on their borrowing. At present, this limit is set at 3% of the gross state domestic product of each state. Expecting to face severe revenue shortfalls because of COVID-19, the states have been pressing the center to relax this borrowing cap. Under its reform package, the central government has allowed an unconditional increase of half percentage point in this limit. But the next one percentage point increase is divided into four equal tranches. Each tranche is linked to a clearly specified measurable and feasible reform action. Areas of reform listed for this purpose are one nation, one ration card, ease of doing business, power distribution, and urban local body revenues. If milestones are achieved in three out of four areas of reforms, another half percentage point relaxation in borrowing will be added. Arvind, this reminds me of a similar reform effort earlier by UPA1 government. Under its urban renewal mission, the government had offered funds to states for city development in return for reforms such as the repeal of the Urban Land Ceilings Act. But moving on to reforms in a completely different area, let me now turn to reforms relating to the coal sector. Prime Minister Indira Gandhi had nationalized all coal mines in the 1970s. Since then, this sector has run largely as a state monopoly. Production, distribution, and pricing have all been opaque with no attention paid to efficiency. For instance, only end users have been allowed to bid for coal mines when they're auctioned. The coal price varies according to the buyer. There's no open market for coal. As such, the sector is in dire need of reforms. Recently, the government made some progress in this direction by allowing anyone, and not just the end users, to bid for coal mines. This is important for efficiency since there is no reason for power generation companies or steel manufacturers who are end users of coal to have expertise in coal mining. The Atmanirbhar Bharat package has committed to placing 50 coal blocks for auction that will be open to all. Buyers will be free to sell coal to whoever they wish. Rather than fix the price of coal, the government will now share in the revenues. As a result, we will have a genuine open market in coal for the first time in decades. In another first, the package also opens coal sector for private exploration. The government will now auction not just fully explored, but also partially explored coal blocks. The sector still has a long way to go to become competitive, but these are important first steps in that direction. Personally, I am gratified to see these reforms happen, Praveen. During my days at Niti Aayog, under the leadership of Mr. Anil Jain, who headed the Niti Aayog's energy vertical, and is now Secretary Cole, we had pushed for these and many other reforms in energy sector via the national energy policy. Let me also note that alongside coal reforms, the Atmanirbhar Bharat package has also announced structural reforms in the mining sector. It has introduced a seamless composite regime for exploration, mining, and production. 
towards this end the government has committed to offering 500 blocks to private bidders through an open and transparent auction process it has also decided to remove the distinction between captive and non captive mines when a mine is captive only its owner can use the mineral extracted from it this creates an obvious inefficiency even if the mine has more extractive capacity than the needs of its owner extra mineral cannot be extracted for sale to other users nor can the owner sell the extra capacity to someone else the proposed reform would allow the sale of surplus minerals on the open market and also the transfer of mining leases to others the next major area of reform is electricity some years ago india's power ministry had launched the uday scheme to fix the problems in the sector but the scheme was flawed from the beginning and the sector really still has not come out of its problems distribution companies or discoms remain in fragile financial condition with aggregate technical and commercial losses seeing at best marginal improvements for most of them fortunately the reforms announced in atmanirbhar bharat package finally promised to move the sector in the right direction perhaps the most important among these reforms is the privatizations of discoms in union territories there was great momentum towards privatization under prime minister rajpayee when delhi's discoms were privatized but the process was set back after the upa came to power i'm really glad that the government has once again revived it and my hope is that this lead by the center will encourage other states especially those under bjp leadership to follow suit the package by the finance minister also mentioned some additional reforms the government proposes to end the cross subsidy in electricity prices by industry to households and farmers this will correct a major distortion in prices that currently undermine sectors intensive in electricity use the package also promises open access to transmission and distribution to industry in a time bound fashion finally it proposes to replace the current system of free electricity of farmers by direct benefit transfer with farmers then paying their electricity bills like all other if these reforms are implemented we will finally see the electricity sector achieve the vibrancy that it needs to achieve interesting point you make praveen about states following suit by the central government to privatize the discoms in the union territories i recently saw a news item where uttar pradesh apparently has said that it is thinking about privatizing discoms in one particular area of the state so your speculation i think is quite correct and appropriate so let me then turn to the sixth and penultimate reform on our list which is the liberalization of the definition of micro small and medium enterprises for purposes of taxation and incentives meaning really largely subsidies until now these enterprises have been defined by investment ceilings the ceilings have been higher for manufacturing than services firms in each category new definitions have eliminated the distinction between manufacturing and services they have also raised the investment ceiling in each category of firms while also introducing ceilings on the total turnover while this reform is in the right direction i feel it still does not go far enough no doubt higher ceilings will encourage enterprises to grow at least up to the new ceiling without the fear of having to face higher taxation rates or lose some of the subsidies but the disincentive to move from the lower category to higher ones remains strong i think the government should have been bolder and merged micro and small categories into a single category and extended the treatment available to micro enterprises to small ones as well 
this would have led to greater rationalization and eliminated the disincentive to grow in the category of small firms, which currently employs the largest share of non-agricultural workers. The resulting increase in competition would have also led to greater consolidation of enterprises into larger entities. Hopefully, the government can introduce this reform in the next round because India does have far too many enterprises currently. Some figures go like, you know, the number of enterprises in India exceeds something like 60 million. And that figure is easily two to three times of what is in the United States, which is anywhere from five to seven times the size of the Indian economy in terms of the GDP. So we do need this consolidation. And for that, I think, you know, one of the reforms that needs to be done is to reduce the number of these different categories of enterprises. And with that, we've come to the last reform on our list, Arvind. It concerns the provision of rental housing for the urban poor and for migrant workers. Until now, the Pradhan Mantri Awas Yojana, or PMAY, exclusively focused on providing owner-occupied housing. It paid no attention to rental housing. But as you point out in your book, India Unlimited, this does not help migrant workers who then end up living in slums. The recent migrant crisis in the wake of COVID-19 has revealed this weakness of the government's housing policy, and I'm glad that the package has started addressing this problem. Broadly, the plan is to convert government-funded housing in cities into affordable rental housing complexes and to incentivize enterprises, associations, and state governments to create affordable rental housing. The government has promised to issue detailed guidelines to shape this reform. Arvind, although this is a step in the right direction, I really don't think that they go far enough. In the end, for rental housing to be available widely at affordable prices, the government needs to make it commercially viable to build such units. That in turn requires a number of measures related to land markets that will bring land prices down and align market rental yields with the interest rate. To create vibrant rental markets, the state governments also need to liberalize rental laws to create a better balance between the rights of tenants and landlords. Currently, the rights are tilted so heavily against landlords that they prefer to keep their units empty rather than rent them out. Today, millions of units in major urban areas lie vacant. I am glad you went into that, Praveen. These are precisely the reforms I recommend in my book, India Unlimited, in the chapter on urbanization. Unless we centrally address the problem of land prices and rental laws, slum housing will continue to grow. As we come to the end of this episode, let me make two final points. The two most important areas where the government is still falling short and we have not touched upon are openness to trade and labor laws. On openness, we have seen the return of import substitution and that is very worrying. A correction is needed. On labor laws, Atmanirvar Bharat package speaks of the four labor codes, but I fear these codes do not offer some key reforms that are required. If we are to create jobs for the masses at decent wages, we need liberalization of trade as well as labor laws. Well, that's the last word, Arvind. Since we're running out of time, I will not try to summarize our discussion, which is just as well since the range has been so wide. And so until next time, signing off, this is Praveen Krishna. And this is Arvind Panagaria on the Transforming India podcast, produced by Atisha Kumar, research scholar at Columbia University, and edited by Rebecca Megalwari at Insights at Columbia University. Thank you for listening.